Welcome to the Debit This, Credit That podcast with Wheeler Accountants located in San Jose, California. In this podcast, we discuss how to solve accounting challenges in both your personal life and your business. We take an energetic, tech-savvy approach to solving accounting challenges that steal your focus and your time. Now, on to the show with your tech-savvy accounting experts, Matt Wheeler and Michael Bryant. Welcome to today's episode of the Debit This, Credit That podcast by Wheeler Accountants with your hosts, Matt Wheeler and Michael Bryant. Today, we're going to spend some time talking about tax planning for 2018 and some of the tax law changes from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was passed late last year that's going to be impacting planning into this year, some of the things that are different from past years and some of the things that are the same tried and true tax planning methods. Uh, We're going to go over all of it today. First, I want to take a few minutes before we get into it here. It was Giving Tuesday this past week, and I want to put in a little plug again for the David Andrew Pooh Madden Foundation or the Damn Cancer Foundation. This is a 501c3 charitable organization that we're uh, dedicated to providing financial assistance to young adults diagnosed with cancer and also to fund innovative cancer treatments and research. The foundation was formed in 2008, almost 10 years ago, coming up here in December, after my good friend David Pumadden passed away from complications resulting from some treatments he had for osteosarcoma, <clears throat> which is bone cancer. Uh, Pooh and I slammed together at UC Santa Barbara and continued our friendship after college. He ended up getting diagnosed with cancer at the age of 25, which is a really difficult time to get a cancer diagnosis. I mean, no, no time's obviously a good time, but that's really especially difficult because you're not in the kid age group anymore and you're not quite an established adult with the retirement or savings or any of that kind of thing. So you're stuck in this weird gap where you have no savings, no money. And if you don't have any family support or your family doesn't financially have a lot of support, you can be in a real tough situation. So that's where our foundation focuses on is helping those individuals the 18 to 35 age group, we provide uh, money for transportation to and from treatments, uh, living expenses like rent, utilities, that sort of thing, or just cost of groceries, you know, whatever they need to get through their treatment and beat cancer. So since 2009, we've raised a little over $1.2 million. I think we're up to like 1.3 now as of this year. We provided grants to well over half a million dollars to young adults and also funded $150,000 towards some cancer research at USC, Norris Cancer Research Center. So please consider supporting the foundation. We're going to talk about charitable giving a little bit later in this podcast as part of year-end tax planning. It's a common topic, and I'd like you to please consider the Damn Cancer Foundation when you're thinking about doing your giving this season. And uh, now with that, we'll get into the podcast. Yeah, so Matt, it's a tax planning season for us here at Wheeler Accountants, and uh, we had talked that this was a really good, timely uh, subject to talk about 2018 tax planning. I know that there's been some significant changes in the tax law with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, TCJA. I know that this is really going to affect our individual taxpayers. So maybe can you give us some key points that we should be considering when we're looking at tax planning for 2018? Yeah, of course. One thing to keep in mind, overarching theme, a lot of taxpayers are going to see a benefit under the new tax law changes. Uh, the, the law got rammed through at the end of last year. It was obviously heavily pushed by President Trump to get some tax cuts passed, and there was a some sweeping changes to the tax legislation and the tax code in general. So 
there's a lot of misinformation going around about how things are going to be impacted. And we'll talk about some of that in a little bit. But most people are seeing a benefit. One thing do people do need to be aware of is the withholding changes. You know, if they had withholding changes as a result of the withholding tables changing during the year because of the tax law change, those change back in the spring. Uh, you may be in a situation where maybe you're going to owe a little more at April, but your tax overall is less. So that's something to keep in mind. Other than that, some of the tried and true methods still apply. Deferring income and accelerating deductions. We're back to that now because tax rates are supposed to stay the same between 18 and 19. Uh, there's big changes to the standard deduction and itemized deduction. So that's something people need to be aware of. There's the 10K state and local income tax or SALT deduction. That is a big deal in a lot of states. And that was one of the big things last year that was being talked about in the news. Uh, changes to charitable giving strategy. Uh, considering Roth convergence at the end of the year, looking at exercising stock options, lost harvesting for uh, securities in your portfolio. And there's a lot of changes for self-employed or business taxpayers to be considered before the end of the year here. And then, of course, there's the longer term planning stuff. Like there's big changes to the estate and gift tax rules as well. So a lot of changes to talk about today. And yeah, I'm looking forward to educating everyone on it. So, so let's dig in. This is, a, a, again, a, a really good, timely uh, discussion about this. You're mentioning that there's likely a benefit from the new tax law. What do you mean by watch out for withholding changes? A lot of people that are salaried W-2 employees, you have a withholding election every year on your W-4 form that you turn into your employer. You pick a certain number of allowances, and that's what the employer and the payroll service use to calculate how much withholding to take out of your paycheck every pay period. And the withholding during the year is just prepayments of tax, and it all trues up at tax time when you file your return. You, you ideally want to be in a situation where you break even or you maybe owe the government a little bit in April. You know, it's no fun owing. <laughs> Nobody but, wants to owe, but it's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, but there's no extra credit for giving the government money early, and you get penalized if you don't pay money in enough. So the withholding changes, the tax law changes the tax rates. They went down a couple percent in each bracket. So the withholding tables changed too, and the withholding went down. And there's also certain types of income that there's flat statutory withholding rates, compensation such as bonuses, commissions or exercise of stock options, certain types, or like restricted stock grants, those are going to be statutorily withheld at a fixed rate when you're below a million dollars in income. Under the old law, it was 25%. Under the new law, it's 22%. So a lot of people end up finding themselves in a much higher bracket than 22 or 25%. And you have a discrepancy then between what you really owe on tax on that income item and what you're actually being withheld, and you're gonna you need to anticipate owing more at the end of the year. So that's why I say watch out for withholding changes because a lot of people had their withholding go down as a result of the tax law. But if you're near the higher end of the income range, you know three quarters of a million and above, around there, you may owe quite a bit more actually because not only are you maybe break even or a loser under the tax law, you actually had less withheld, and that could be a problem. So if a lot of your income is driven by bonuses, commissions, or stock options or restricted stock. It'd be a really good idea to get a withholding checkup to at least not be surprised come tax time with the big tax bill. And if you are behind or you are short, you can make a payment now to stop the bleeding on that interest charge. Basically, it's an underpayment penalty is what it's called, but really it's an interest charge. It's a 5% rate now. So it's no longer a really low rate. 5% is like a middle ground interest rate, especially for the past like 10 years. So, you know, if you don't want to be under withheld, you want to make sure you have enough paid in. Yeah. So if I understand you right, so if if we didn't do anything with our withholdings at all, our withholdings actually were lowered 
um, based on our current elections. Is that correct? Most likely, yeah. Okay. And that's probably by design also, so everyone feels richer under the new tax law immediately during the year, and then, you know, you're getting more in your paycheck every pay period or whatnot, but it's all that's all just a pre prepayment, and it all gets trued up at the end, so it's such a common misconception where people think, oh, my bonus got taxed at a huge amount, but now I paid all the taxes. Well, not really. You, it estimated how much you're going to pay in taxes, and then you're going to really pay how much in taxes you owe at the end of the year, and if you owe more, you're going to owe then. So, if if there are significant bonuses or, or stock comp, that, that's really a good time to look at some tax planning to make sure that they are properly withheld. For sure. Excellent. So you had mentioned the general rule about um, deferring income and accelerating our deductions. And I know that that was kind of different in 2017, but can you cover what the general rule is and how that differed from what we did for 2017? Yeah, so under the general tax planning rule, you know, we're we're trying to take advantage of the time value of money. So we want to pay tax as late pay anything as late as possible. So accelerating deductions and deferring income is generally what we want to do. We want to bring deductions into this year to lower our tax bill for this year to get more money in our pocket so we can hang on to it longer. And we want to defer income to a later year so we don't owe tax till the next year so we can defer paying tax on that income for a later year. Sometimes this can be a really big item. If you have control over a substantial payment you're going to receive, like a sale of some asset or some large income item or revenue payment that's going to be coming in, and if you can choose between December 31st and January 1st, you know that could be the difference between owing the tax in April of the coming year for something that you received in December, or potentially not owing the tax until April of the following year, almost a year and a half later, if you wait till January 1st. And, you know, you can invest that money in the meantime. Maybe you won't get a huge return, but if you get a few percent on a large sum, that's going to be a pretty big amount. So accelerating deductions and deferring income is is the general rule. And we're back to that rule because we know the the tax rate is supposed to be the same between 2018 and 2019. There are occasions where that's reversed and it was flipped, you know, when we knew the tax um, rates were going up, like when the uh, the Bush tax cuts are set to expire under Obama and the tactics are going to revert back to higher levels. It was the opposite. We wanted to bring income forward into the last year of the Bush tax cuts. And we wanted to defer deductions to the next year when it was going to be higher back. And I forget the year it was like 2013, I think, or 2012. So, you know, that was the opposite then. And that's why year in planning was super important that year as well. But now we're back to the general rule where rates are the same or if they're going Going up, um, down, you know, you want to basically defer income and accelerate deductions. Okay, that makes sense. So last year, though, you were saying we should definitely be prepaying our our state income taxes, our property taxes, basically our, our state and local or SALT taxes. That was the rule for 2017. How does that affect for 2018? Yeah, that was the rule. It was like the general rule on steroids, I guess, because the rate was going down. And so you wanted even more to bring deductions forward into the high income tax year and defer income into the lower tax rate year versus like the same tax rate thing where it's purely time value of money. That was not only time value money. That was a tax rate differential play as well. Um, This year, it's a little different on the state income tax thing. You know, we can talk about that in a little bit. But generally in that one, because of the limits on the new deduction, there's no benefit to prepaying anymore. So most folks are going to wait until next year. Okay, got it. Thanks. 
You had also mentioned that the standard deduction was going to be increasing for 2018. How does this come into play? Yeah, that's a big change. You know, it impacts a significant amount of taxpayers. The standard deduction uh, basically doubled from what it was before. So if you're a married couple, it's anywhere from like 24000 to 26000 now, depending on your age, for the standard deduction in 2018. And that in conjunction with the limit on state and local income taxes, the SALT deduction, which is now capped at $10,000, means a lot of people are going to be in a very different situation for 2018. Actually, it's not only the SALT deduction, it's also the loss of miscellaneous itemized deductions. So if you pay a lot of investment management fees or even if you know, you're paying our tax prep fees or any sort of investment expenses, those things are now lost as well under the new tax law and gone. So when you look at the itemized deductions now, you're only looking at medical expenses if they're over 7.5% of your income, $10,000 of state and local income taxes, mortgage interest, and charitable deductions. And if you don't have a mortgage and you don't have a ton of medical and your income is relatively high, so you're not getting a medical deduction, you're going to have a $10,000 SALT deduction probably and maybe some charitable. But your standard deduction if you're married is twenty-four dollars or $26,000. So the first fourteen dollars to $16,000 of either mortgage interest or charitable is pretty much wasted because you get that higher standard deduction or itemized deduction amount no matter what. So if you had $10,000 SALT deduction, Four grand of mortgage interest, four grand of charitable, that's 18,000, 10 plus four plus four, but you'd get 24,000 for your standard deduction no matter what. So the fact that you did a four grand deduction for charity or you paid four grand of mortgage interest makes no difference on your taxes. You're getting the standard deduction of 24,000 no matter what. So that's a significant change because a lot of people are going to find themselves in the standard deduction category now where their charitable deductions don't matter anymore or they're not receiving a tax benefit from their mortgage anymore. And so it may be time to reevaluate some decisions of the past. Like, should we pay off our mortgage now? It's not as attractive of a rate anymore because we're not getting a tax write-off for it. Or should we change our charitable giving strategy because we're now no longer getting, you know, a charitable deduction for some of the charitable donations we're making. Interesting. Yeah. I guess we've always been in the thought that, Oh, if you have a mortgage, then you'll be able to deduct it. But in this instance, if if you're not over the standard deduction, which that's a significant increase, more than double of last year, um, it's it is time to start considering those things. Yeah, I think it's going to impact taxpayers mostly that are, you know, in that retirement area or closer to it because mm-hmm. they're most likely to have a smaller mortgage or no mortgage, and uh, you know they may not have anything else besides the salt tax deduction at that point. So they're they're probably going to be doing a standard deduction amount and not itemize anymore. Now, the caveat to all this is California doesn't conform. So some of these things are still deductible for California purposes, but that's uh, going to be a relatively immaterial amount compared to the federal side of things. Yeah, that makes sense. How, how do you think that will impact uh, people's giving? Well, there was a lot of talk last year. I think, you know, charitable organizations and like, you know, watchdog type groups on tax laws had pointed out, you know, we're going to see a big drop off in charitable giving. Uh, Be interested to see what the numbers say now that we're into a full year. We may not know until the end of this year and it's kind of go through the giving season here and find out if it's gone down quite a bit. But a lot of smaller donors aren't getting tax write-offs anymore. I think it's going to take a while before the marketplace understands that and most people realize they're not getting a benefit. You know, because it takes time for people to catch on to new changes. But right. I think that's, that's going to be something coming down the pipe. 
But one of the things that we can do to mitigate that impact and change our strategy on the charitable side of things is uh, give a few a few things you can do there. One, if you're retired and you're taking your RMDs from your IRA or your re- qualified retirement plans and you're over age 70 and a half, you can actually make qualified charitable distributions directly from your IRA to charity. You instruct the custodian to make the payment on your behalf to the charity directly. And that accomplishes two things. One, that's not income to you when the money comes out of your IRA. Okay. So you are effectively getting a deduction there. And it's actually an above the line deduction, which reduces your adjusted gross income, your AGI. So that's a really good thing. Two, it counts towards your RMD requirement. So you, you can do up to 100 grand of this if you really wanted to and really maximize the benefit here. So you can have up to 100 grand of your RMD requirement, which probably is your whole RMD requirement or maybe most of it, go directly to charity and then you can just take what's left over out of your RMD or take nothing if you've already met your RMD requirement. And now you basically get a full deduction for that charitable contribution where you would have lost at least the first fourteen to 16000 by writing a check to the charity directly under the, you know, the older rules or the usual way of giving a donation. So if you're over age 70 and a half and you're not going to be doing an itemized deduction because you don't have a lot of mortgage or investment interest or anything like that, we're strongly recommending you look at doing qualified charitable distributions out of your IRA. It's going to be, it's the new way to do your giving. You can keep doing your giving. And it's going to be great for all those charities like the Dem Cancer Foundation that you can do that for, but you want to make sure it comes directly from your IRA. If you talk to your custodian, they should know about this and know how to do it. If not, you know, please contact one of us. And just to clarify for our listeners, RMD is a required minimum distribution. Is that correct? Correct. So that starts at age 70 and a half. You have to start pulling money out of your taxable retirement accounts. So even as a retiree, some tax planning, especially around charitable giving, would be really beneficial. Sure. And for everyone else that's not in the RMD situation, uh, if you don't have a mortgage that's paying enough interest to get you over that hump to where you're itemizing, you may lose some of your charitable. So we're going to recommend doing uh, the the bunching up strategy that we used to do for like medical expenses and that kind of things, or basically using some vehicle or tool like a donor advised fund or just donating outright, but doing uh, more in one year to get over that hump and get some tax benefit. So say you only had the 10 K salt deduction donating, maybe you normally donate 15,000 a year where you wouldn't see any benefit for it. Mm-hmm. Donate 30 in one year. So you at least get benefit for 15 and 15 is lost. The next year don't donate anything. So then you at least got 15 in one year versus getting nothing in two years in a row by doing your normal giving strategy. So bunching it up so you get over that hump of itemizing, you want to be able to do that by donating more. The donor advised fund is a great tool to do it because you can put the money into the charitable account that you set aside for charity. You get the deduction the year you fund the account so you control the timing of the deduction, but then you can give the money away out of the account at whatever pace you want. Yeah, so you still control those funds. So the charity can get money every year on cue, like you normally give at your normal giving time, but you can get the deduction like all in one year, take advantage of it. So you can front load a, a donor advised fund with like two, three, four years worth of giving, get your tax benefit, and then not fund it again, not load it up again for another couple of years. It's like, ah, a, it's like a prepaid debit charitable card or something. <laughs> you know, So you want to load it up in, in a year and, and get the benefit and then uh, you can give the money away later. So I imagine we'll see quite an increase in the donor advised funds. Yeah, they've been gaining in popularity. I don't have any stats on them, but they're pretty popular. Most financial advisors should be aware of them. Again, most brokerages have them, Schwab, Fidelity, those types, and they're really easy to use and highly recommended. 
Great. So we have talked a little bit about the SALT deduction, the state and local tax. It's been a huge topic here in California and certainly affects each and every one of us in in a higher tax bracket in California. Um, Can you explain what's happening for those higher tax states and why this might be an issue? Yeah, the, the SALT deduction was highly talked about in the news last year at the end of the year. Everyone was like lining up to prepay their property taxes. Some places you couldn't prepay and people were getting pissed off. They couldn't pay ahead of time for their property taxes. (laughs) Um, You know, you wanted to get that deduction into last year because there was no limit on the 10K limit on the state local income tax deduction. So you could pay as much as you wanted and then you would have lost benefit this year. So there's a couple of things going on in this one as well. A lot of misinformation where people felt that because they're losing this deduction, they're getting screwed under the new tax law. Uh, yes, Yes, you are losing deduction here. But if you were paying AMT or alternative minimum tax, which is a significant chunk of our taxpayers here in our office, at least and in Silicon Valley, you know, if you're in that couple hundred grand income range up to like maybe six, seven hundred grand or so, these are rough, you know, numbers, you're probably paying AMT. The tax law changed AMT quite a bit, too. And you're actually under the old law, you couldn't deduct state taxes or property taxes for AMT anyway. So you probably weren't getting the full benefit on your property taxes anyway. You were getting no benefit. So what's the difference between not getting a benefit by deducting it, but then AMT not allowing it versus just getting capped at 10? Nothing really. But the AMT changed substantially and the tax rates went down. So we're finding most of those taxpayers are actually still a net winner under the law, even though there's a bunch of offsetting things going on. Oh, interesting. That's not something that we hear in the news often. Yeah, I mean, they may have lost the property tax deduction, they lost the state deduction, so their taxable income shows higher, but the tax rate's a couple points less, and then on top of that, the AMT probably went away for them because it doesn't kick in basically until a much higher amount now, so they're a net winner. When I was running projections you know, all throughout the spring in this year, I'd see clients have a higher taxable income, higher regular tax amount, say they owed five grand more in regular tax, but then they paid like 15 grand of AMT the year before, and now they have none. So they're a net winner of 10 grand, you know, but it's just, they wouldn't expect it coming. So um, anyway, the the 10K deduction now caps us. So there's no benefit to paying stuff early anymore because if you're going to hit the 10K no matter what, like there's no point in paying it early. So you want to basically pay it later or when it's due, the property taxes. So your December and April payment, you know, it's when you want to do it basically back to normal. Yeah. Uh, DMV fees are included in this because they're property taxes or local property taxes. So you, you include those as well. Uh, so there's no there's no benefit, you know, paying paying your fourth quarter California or state income taxes. We used to say pay it before the end of the year to write it off this right. year. Again, same boat. 10K max. No point in prepaying. Just pay it in January 15th along with your federal coupon. So uh, you know, not a lot of need to prepay anymore. One of our planning tools went away, unfortunately, uh, at least on the federal side. On California, again, doesn't conform. Technically, if you prepay your property taxes, you can deduct it this year on California. Then that may give you a little bit of tax benefit. I don't think it's huge. May not be necessary. You're probably down to if you took our advice, you probably only have one property tax payment this year. The one in December right now, because right. you prepaid your April one last year in December 2017. So you're going to be have a year with one payment this year, then you're going back to two a year starting in 2018 until the laws change again. So it changed things. People aren't necessarily going to be losing out, but it's no longer a planning item like it used to be for us on the prepay side. 
So Matt, we still have a lot to cover here, but I've noticed that we're at our our 20, 25 minute time frame. Um, and so I think this would be a really good time for us to break for this episode and rejoin this topic on our next podcast. Sounds great. That's all for today's episode of Debit This, Credit That podcast. As always, if you have any questions, you can contact your Wheeler Accountants Preparer or submit a question online at our website in the Ask Wheeler section at the bottom of the page. Please remember to follow us on social media for regular updates at Wheeler CPAs and on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thanks for listening as we help you solve for accounting.